Welcome to JEG Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JEG Ministries. In our study of the book of James, we have started to unpack chapter 3, and we're going to continue our study with chapter 3 this time. In this chapter, James is talking to us about the untamable tongue and the control of that tongue. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the third chapter of James, and we're going to pick off pick up where we left off last time with verse 11. And of course, before we can study the word, we must first read the word. So let's go ahead and begin by reading verse 11. And I'll read several verses here. Verse 11. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. I'll stop there for now, and let's go ahead and start visiting about verses 11 and 12. Leading into verse 11, James again turns to nature for his illustrations. He asks, can both fresh water and bitter or salt water flow from the same spring. Fresh water is sweet, and the salt water is bitter. Fresh water is good for drinking, and the salt or bitter water is so salty that it is unfit for drinking. Now, James may have had the Dead Sea in mind when he was mentioning this. In verse 12, James concludes his discussion of the tongue by going behind the physical organ, the real source of the speech. He asks, can a fig tree bear olives? A plant produces according to its nature, whether it's figs, grapes, or other fruit. So with a salt spring, it cannot produce fresh water because it's not a fresh water spring. Therefore, out of the mouth of a good person comes good works. And out of the mouth of a sin, sinful person comes sinful words. Now getting into the following verses from verse 13 to 18, which will end chapter 3, James will discuss two kinds of wisdom. This passage is a natural outgrowth of the discussion of the tongue. The six verses divide into three sections. The first one is an exhortation or an encouragement in verse, thir in thir uh, verse 13 that's followed by the second division of earthly wisdom that we find in verses 14, and 16, uh, 14 through 16. And thirdly, wisdom from heaven, which will be in the last two verses, 17 and 18 of chapter 3. We will be learning about heavenly and demonic wisdom. Before we get into verse 13, let's go ahead and read verse 13, and I'll go ahead and finish out the rest of chapter 3. Verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, 
then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace by those who make peace. Verse 13, James addresses the person who is wise and understanding. The former word wise was a technical term among the Jews for the teacher, the scribe, and the rabbi. Now, James is still speaking to those who would be teachers. Here it is not what they say that he is concerned with, but rather how they live. Understanding describes one who is an expert who has spatial knowledge or training. Thus, anyone who would be a teacher who claims to be an expert with spatial understanding is under obligation to show it by their good life. He should possess the know-how and be skilled in applying God's truth to practical everyday living. The particular characteristic stressed in this verse is meekness or humility that comes from wisdom. If we look at meekness or humility as gentleness, we find it is not a passive gentleness growing out of weakness or resignation. Rather, it is an active attitude of deliberate acceptance. The word was used to describe a horse that had been broken and trained to submit to the bridle, the word gentleness. So this gentleness is strength under control, the control of the Spirit of God. It is a gentleness that is a characteristic of wisdom. Now, James doesn't have in mind the Greek concept of speculative or theoretical wisdom, but the Hebrew idea of practical wisdom which enables one to live a life of godliness. Now here in verse 14, the specific form of if used here suggests that some of James' readers were harboring bitter envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition in their hearts. Selfish ambition or self-seeking is an attitude bent on gaining advantage and prestige for oneself or for one's group. This forceful term colors the word envy so that it here that it means selfish zeal. The word is often used to describe fanatical zeal for a cause in either a good or a bad sense. James makes it clear by the adjective bitter that he is referring to a sinful zeal. Because this condition existed among his readers, he insists that they must not boast about the bitter zeal or their selfish ambition or deny the truth. James's readers may have been priding themselves in their partisan defense of the truth, a defense that was to their own advantage and for their own advancement. Through such bitter and partisan defense, they were in reality denying the very truth that they were attempting to defend. Leading us into verse 15, though James refers to the attitude described in verse 14 as wisdom, James obviously does not 
mean that it is genuine wisdom. On the contrary, it is the wisdom claimed by the would-be teachers of verse 14 whose lives contradict their claims. Now, such wisdom evaluates everything by worldly standards and makes personal gain in life's, uh, makes personal gain their life's highest goal. Yet even this spurious use of the term reflects the Hebrew concept of wisdom as a practical rather than a theoretical. God is the source of genuine wisdom, but the pseudo-wisdom is not from him, because as James declares, such wisdom does not come down from heaven. Instead, it is earthly in its source as well. It views life from the limited viewpoint of this world rather than from heaven's vantage point. Its mind is set on the earthly things. Now, James also calls this wisdom sensual, demonic, and unspiritual, which is contrasted from spiritual. The spiritual person has received the Spirit of God, but the unspiritual person does not have the Spirit. Thus, wisdom that is unspiritual characterizes unregenerate human nature. Furthermore, it is of the devil. Now, taking a look at verse 16. Now, the conjunction for indicates that bitter zeal and selfish ambition always results in confusion, disorder, and every evil thing or practice. James is talking about confusion, a disturbance, and a turmoil that's in the church. The evil thing or practice refers specifically to worthless activity to deeds that are bad because they are good for nothing and cannot produce any real benefit. Selfish zeal and ambition then always tends to destroy spiritual life and spiritual work. Now notice here in verse 17 that in contrast to the denial of verse 15, James turns to a description of the wisdom from above or comes from heaven. Its basic characteristic is pure. Now the reference is not to sexual purity, but to the absence of any sinful attitude or motive. It is the opposite of the self-seeking attitude of verses 14, 15, and 16. Now from this inner quality flow the outward manifestations given in the rest of the verse. James goes on to describe this wisdom as peaceable, or peace-loving, in contrast to the bitter spirit of competitiveness and self-ambition that was described in verse 14. Next, it is considerate or gentle. God is gentle and kind, although in reality he has every reason to be stern and punitive towards people in their sin. God's people also are to be marked by this godlike quality, not insisting on their legal rights, but exercising love's legitimacy instead. Likewise, godly wisdom is willing to yield or be submissive. This quality is the opposite of being obstinate or self-seeking. It is a readiness to yield or submit. Furthermore, godly 
wisdom is full of mercy and of good fruit. That is, it's compassionate and always ready to help those who are in need. It is impartial, showing no favoritism, and it does not discriminate against anyone. Finally, this wisdom without hypocrisy, it is sincere. Uh, or this wisdom is without hypocrisy, and it's sincere. Now, far from being theoretical and speculative, James's concept of wisdom is thoroughly practical. It is the understanding and attitude that results in true piety and godliness. Now, let's take a look at verse 18. This is the last chapter, or last verse of chapter 3. But here at verse 18, which uh, James concludes his discussion of the wisdom that comes from heaven by reiterating or repeating the second quality that was listed in verse 17. Now, to raise a harvest of righteousness demands a certain kind of climate. A crop of righteousness cannot be produced in the climate of bitterness and self-seeking. Righteousness will grow only in a climate of peace. Must, thus, it must be sown and cultivated by those who make peace. They're, they are the peacemakers. Such persons not only love peace and live in peace, but also strive to create conditions of peace. And with that, folks, that finishes chapter 3. Next time, we'll move into chapter 4 and start our study with that. We'll see how pride promotes strife. We will experience the worldly attitude in chapter 4. In chapter 3, uh, James discussed a philosophy of life that is characteristic of the unregenerated mind and is a major ingredient of the worldliness. Now James examines this worldly attitude in much greater detail in chapter 4. James will identify the source of worldly antagonisms or hostilities or oppositions. And then he will reprove spiritual unfaithfulness. And finally, James pleads for submission to God. But we'll get all into that next time right here on JHE Ministries Bible Study. So in the meantime, thanks for listening. God bless you all and keep living Christian strong.